Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Anyway, we're going to continue in our our, uh, series with Abraham's life and his call and the Lord's promise of blessing and the promise of of land and the Abrahamic covenant that we've been talking about. And before we get into today, let me set the scene for us. The scene is Abraham has failed in his faith when he went down into Egypt. And uh, instead of trusting in God's provision, he is trusting in how to get provision from Egypt and goes down there, makes a big mistake, gets Sarah in trouble, uh, lies about her, and she, she gets taken into the Pharaoh's harem, and it's a big mess, and Pharaoh gets cursed by God for doing that, and finally Pharaoh um, re- uh, releases Sarah back to Abraham, and they basically are told, get out of here, man, you've brought a lot of trouble on us. So anyway, it's a lapse of faith, and we looked at that. So now we're going to go back into uh, the promised land. Abraham's going to make his way up from Egypt back into the promised land, And he's going to come to another test on the road. Um, And this test is deciding what path you're going to take on your your following the Lord. Because what's going to happen is you're going to hit a fork in the road. And the fork in the road is going to be between him and Lot. So there's a dispute between Lot and his herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. Okay, It's a big deal, by the way. And what it'll, sh- what it'll show you is what's, what's going on in Abraham's mind and what's going on in Lot's mind. And what you'll see is because of what's internally in them, it will cause them to choose a certain path. Lot will choose his path. Abraham will choose his path. And here's the thing that, that you're going to learn. One path, path is by faith. The other one is by sight. And so anytime we come up to a fork in the road for us and what, dis- what decision we need to make, it's either going to be one of the two. Either you're going to respond in faith or you're going to respond in sight. And that's the difference between Abraham and Lot. And so I want to take you through this to show you uh, what goes into their decision-making processes. And the road taken by Lot will get him in major trouble, major trouble. So we want to look at that. So all of us are going to have our fork in the road moment. And it's either I'm going to follow God or I'm going to follow what I think is best for me. And that's where the decision is made. So let's make sure we're on Abraham's side of faith and respond that way in any fork in our road. So let's, let's, let's take a look at it and continue with Abraham in this journey. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, okay? So that's the big mistake. Now he's going back into the land. He should have never left the land, right? He and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. So apparently Lot went with him into Egypt. Uh, We're not told that he did, but now it says, yeah, he must have been with him because he comes back out with Abraham. Anyway, this implies that not only Abraham was made wealthy by the Pharaoh. He gave, a, he gave Abraham a dowry, but he apparently gave Lot uh, finances and wealth as well. Um, and so both men 
have a lot of wealth right now from Egypt. Anyway, Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and in in gold. These are biblical signs of wealth, right? And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now, here's a note. What you want to note is that he went back to the place he had been at the beginning. Okay? So what you're seeing with Abraham is he made a big mistake. It's a lapse of faith. And so when you do that, it is incumbent upon us to go back to where we got off the path. That's what it's showing you. If you, if you got in straight off the path some way, go back to where you got off. And that's what he's doing. But one, one, one side note. Let me give you a side note, okay? And the side note is biblical wealth. Notice how it says livestock, silver, and in gold, okay? And you will see this through the Bible of what the, the Bible defines as wealth. Now, again, this is a side note, but I think for the times that we're living in, it's important to understand this. Because what's coming upon you is a cryptocurrency. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a programmable currency. It's a digital currency. And they're not going to use cash or change anymore. That violates the principle of biblical wealth. If you look real quickly with me, what defines biblical wealth? Well, you, it must have a store of value, which means it keeps its value over time. It must be rare. It must be limited in supply to ensure its value. It can't be just printed off fiatly, right? It must be divisible. It can be divided into smaller units of value. It must be portable. It can be physically carried by the person or with them and must be able to be physically transferred to others. Five, it must be durable. It must be able to to be used repeatedly. And six, it must be fungible. One unit is interchangeable with another unit and must have the same purchasing power. And seven, it must be acceptable. It must be usable for transactions for everyone. That is the definition of biblical wealth. And what I am telling you is they switch us to a digital currency. It violates all seven principles of biblical wealth. So when people ask me, what should I do if they're going to switch us to a digital currency? Well, you must understand a black market will probably prevail under that regime. Okay? And if a black market comes out, and that's how you're going to have to do business of bartering and selling without doing the digital currency, it must match those seven qualifications in any type of bartering system that develops. And I guarantee you, a bartering system will develop. So I'm just giving you this to show you, look how Abraham had gold and silver and flocks. All of what he had matches these seven qualifications for wealth. So if people, if people ask you, what should I do if they do a digital currency, I would make sure that whatever I'm investing my money in right now, and I'm not an economic advisor, that it matches these things in order to have a black market trading ability. So whatever that might be, okay? So I want you to think about that uh, in the times that we're in because <clears throat> the digital currency is coming. There's no stopping it. Anyway, that's a side note. Let's go back to the story, okay? So where did he go? 
He went to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. What is this? Well, again, this is a recommitment on Abraham's part, realizing that he strayed and got off the path. And now he's going back to where he got off of. And there he recommits his life at the altar that he had originally made and worships the Lord. And again, it says that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. We've talked about that. This is not about a call for salvation. He's Abraham's already saved. This is a call to, conf- to confess publicly Yahweh in front of the Canaanites and then call for deliverance from the Canaanites. Because remember, I told you he's surrounded by enemies. He goes into enemy territory and starts publicly worshiping Yahweh. Like I said, this would be like going into Saudi Arabia and worshiping Jesus at Mecca and, or Medina and putting yourself at risk in a hostile country like that. And that's what Abraham's doing. And so he's confessing publicly the Lord, but it also is going to bring heat to him. It's going to bring persecution to him. And so that's why he's confessing and calling on the name of the Lord for physical deliverance if this should cause persecution. But again, it's a recommitment. Now, here's the thing. We all stray from the path. We all at times make bad decisions and we're going to. And our sin nature gets in the way. Our desires get in the way. And here's the path we have laid out. And then we choose this one and it gets us in trouble. So what do I do? You have to spiritually return to where you got off the path. And first of all, realize that when you got off the path, it was because you didn't have Christ as the priority in your decision-making. You put yourself as the priority. You put, like Lot will, wealth as the priority. And right now, a lot of people are putting wealth as a priority. They're putting fear as their priority, security, all these other things that will cause them to make bad, bad decisions and get off the path. Okay, so we've got to return to where we left off. Okay, so that's, that's the idea. Go where, to, where you left off the path. Don't try to re-enter the path from a different point. You have to figure out, why did I get off the path? Why am I not in the will of God? And you can only do that by going uh, to figure out where you got off. So when you find out where you got off the path, you can say, aha, it's here, and I was being selfish, and I made a bad decision, or whatever. It might, I was, I was a fearful, and I made a decision out of fear, or I made a decision out of satisfying someone else rather than God. Okay, that's how you got off the path, but you got to go deeper, You have to go deeper and find out what is the root that's in me that caused me to be in fear, that caused me to look for provision outside of God. What caused me to satisfy someone else rather than Jesus? What is the root of that? And you must discover what that root, because here's the thing. If you don't figure out the root, that root will cause you to get off the path in another section of your life. It'll just keep reoccurring, keep reoccurring. So you have to discover this root. Now, when you do come back to the Lord and you figured out the root and you, you say, okay, Lord, I got off the path. Here's what you do to reestablish fellowship. And this is what Abraham is doing. If you, we confess, homo legale, 
our sins, and notice in its, its specific sins, what is the specific sin that Abraham did, right? That's what, that's what must be confessed. Not just, not a salvation prayer like, I know I'm a sinner. When you're establishing fellowship forgiveness, you must name the sin that you did. And with the word homo legeo in Greek, it means you must say the same thing that God says about it. You must agree that what God says, you must say. Okay, so if if you say, well, you know, I I made I, I made a mistake and I had an affair. No, no, it's not a mistake. It's called a sin. Okay, and it's not called an affair in the Bible. It's called adultery. You must name the thing as God names it. Okay? Other, otherwise, you minimize it. You must do that. Okay? And what does it say? He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and establish that fellowship forgiveness again. And, and we're, again, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about in fellowship with the Lord. And there are three conditions for fellowship forgiveness. First of all, you have to walk in the light of God's word. And this is where the sincerity is. If you confess something and you're not sincere about it, and you just say, yeah, I did that sin and I did that. And, you're, you, and you have no intention of repenting of that, of stopping that. Then that's not walking in the light of God's word. The, the term walking in the light of God's word means that you're sincerely wanting to stop. Okay, In order to establish that fellowship forgiveness. This is not just you rattling out a prayer and thinking all is good. It must come from the sincerity of your heart. Two, confessing our sins as light reveals them. The light of God's word or as God reveals them. What will happen is God will say that was wrong. He'll convict you of it and then you confess it. A lot of times you don't even know what you're doing sometimes. And, and that's the sin of omission. And God will reveal it. Well, you didn't do that. You didn't do this. Then confess it. And then repentance when necessary. Sometimes the, the, what you did was like, you know, you didn't expect it. You didn't plan it. It just, oh, I said something stupid, yada, yada. That's not walking in darkness. That's just from your sin nature. That, that, that's not necessarily needing repentance because you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I did that. It was spur of the moment and I wasn't thinking. You just need to confess that. But if it's, requ- if it's a habitual, habitual thing and it keeps reoccurring, repentance then will be required for that. You have to eventually stop. And you have to work on stopping that. And sometimes that stopping uh, of the sin or whatever is not over, overnight. It might take a process of time. But as long as you're in repentance mode, that you're working to get past it, that you're working on it. And it might take years. But as long as you're working on it is what is required. And you can see Luke 15. And repentance starts with metanoia. It starts with a change of mind. That's what Abraham is doing. He's changing his mind, repenting in the sense that he's, he's now going to learn never to trust in the world system for provision. He will understand that his provision comes from God despite the circumstances. And that's a metanoia. And then it will affect his behavior. Okay, let's continue on. Um, this root thing is you got to dig out the root to know the path to take in the future. If you don't know your root of what got you off the path, you will get off the path again. And hint, 
it will stem from a lack of faith due to believing lies about God, about others, about yourself, and about reality. That's where it will be. It's something that you don't believe in, that, that the God says that's affecting you in making bad decisions or the root issue. So you've got to get to the bottom of this. And so those, those are the things you look at. What, what do I believe about God that's not true? What do I believe about reality that's not true? What do I believe, what do I believe about others that's not true? What do, what do I believe about myself that's not true? That right there is the core root issue that will get you off the path. So with Abraham, he didn't trust God's provision. That's it. And so Abraham has a problem inside of him in the fact that he struggles with the pagan notion that I will provide for myself. I will figure out a plan. He will do it again. It will repeat. He will again lie about his wife. It happens twice. And so he never, at this point, got to the root of it. He confessed it. He got, it, he got forgiven and he reestablished fellowship. But the root was still there. And it's going to cause him another problem later on. So that's what we want to try to avoid. Okay, now let's get to the situation with him and Lot. And this is the core of the, of the issue. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. So Lot was made wealthy by going into Egypt too. So both men are very wealthy. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So the idea is that they come back into the land... And, and, and Abraham's recommitting, but the problem is there's not enough grazing fields available for both men's flocks. And the flocks represent wealth, so they're very wealthy. But here's what's happening. It's not like they can graze their flocks anywhere. The Canaanites have city-states, and those Canaanites control different parts of, of the promised land to where they couldn't graze their flocks on any part of the land. The Canaanites already had boundaries and sections in which they were operating. So Abraham and Lot are put on a very narrow strip of land that's not enough to sustain their flocks and herds. And that's what's happening here. Because you think, well, they got the whole promised land. No, they don't. The Canaanites have control of it at this point. So they're limited. And, and here's what you have to understand uh, a little bit about wealth. Um. The wealth sometimes that you get from this world is not necessarily a blessing, but a curse. Now, Abraham got his wealth because that was the dowry that Pharaoh paid to, to marry you know, his sister in that whole transaction. So the wealth was ill-gotten. It was gotten, th- gotten through a lie. And so it made Abraham very rich, and it made Lot rich too. But this is ill-gained wealth, okay? And it's causing problems. Now, if you ever talk to someone that has wealth, they will tell you, I had less problems when I was poor than I do now. In fact, they can't sleep at night, and they have all kinds of issues, and they're, they're, in, they're fighting in courts, and they're being sued, and they have leeches for relatives that will always want money, and, and it becomes very difficult to have wealth. Very few people can handle it without going crazy. And, and so wealth brings a lot of problems. In this situation, 
The wealth brings division, division among family members. Be very careful about wealth. Wealth can actually separate you from family. It can separate you from the Lord. That's why the Lord said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And the concept on that is, well, you're talking about a needle and thread, a camel. No, no, he's not talking about that. That's, that, that's not understanding the Jewish background. The eye of a needle is a smaller entrance into a bigger door at the gates of Jerusalem. So if you go to Jerusalem, they have these giant gates. But the, what you'll see inside the, the gate is a smaller door. That's called the eye of a needle. So the only way you're going to get your camel through the eye of a needle is you must unpack the camel. Once you unpack the camel, the camel can go through the eye of the needle, can go through the little door in the bigger door. So what, it, what was Jesus trying to say? The main problem with wealth and what keeps them from coming to faith in me is they must unpack it. And the reason is because it becomes an idol and it prevents them from going through the eye of the needle. It's not impossible. They just got to unpack it. They got to let go of the idol. And so wealth keeps people a lot of times from coming to faith. This is why America, because it's become so affluent, why people don't even want to know the Lord. If you go to other places where the gospel is, is on fire, it's typically poorer countries. That's where the, 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 all the, the uh, evangelism that's really happening, masses you know, in, in third world countries is happening, whether it's on Iran or Africa, Central America, and they're dirt poor because when you're in poverty, you know your needs, you know your spiritual needs, and you're awake to that. And this is why we see Europe and even America would call it a, a burnt-out district that no one's responding because they're too affluent anymore. Anyway, let's continue on. And there was strife between the herdsmen and Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Now, why is it adding that? Because it's trying to tell you they have control of the land. That's why they can't... Uh, spread out with their flocks. And so what starts happening is the herdsmen for Lot and Abraham start actually fighting over land, over feeding ground, okay? So it's causing a problem. And so like I said, wealth brings a lot of problems. But here's the thing, in your decision-making, okay, this is what's going to get Lot off the path. Wealth or finances cannot be the main reason you do something. It can be part of the equation, but if you put finances at the top instead of God's will, you're going to end up like Lot. Because that's what Lot will do. He will make every decision based on personal finances. Now again, I'm not saying that's not part of, of our decision making. I'm just saying, if you're saying, I'm going to leave California because financially it's better to live in another state, you're making a big mistake at that point. You need to say, I'm leaving California because God led me out of California. That, that has to be number one. If you're saying, I can't live here because of finances, that's the wrong decision. And you're going to end in a big mess. That's what's happening here. So when finances are number one, then what it means for the person is that security, provision, and safety and power from wealth 
will be the idol that one follows to the wrong path. Look, you're going to follow either God or whatever idol you make. And if it is wealth, which is a major idol in people's life, that idol will lead you astray. Because you're looking for provision, you're looking for safety, you're looking for power from what wealth can give you. And that becomes where you end up in Sodom and Gomorrah, like Lot will. So be careful about that. Wealth is a trap. Look what 1 Timothy says. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Food and clothing? Yes, you should be content with food and clothing. What about my house? What about the pool? What about the vacation to the Bahamas? What about, what about the, you know, the, the, the Lamborghini and the Ferrari that I've always wanted in my life and all this other stuff? And what does Paul say? No, no. Just having food and clothing, you should be content with that. Whoa. Okay. He's not, he's not against having nice things. Don't understand that. But when per, a person says, I need this, and it's not a need, like food and clothing, I need a Ferrari, okay, or whatever it might be. I need the, so you've turned your want into a need, and that's what's going to lead you astray. You won't be content. You'll always want more. But those who desire to be rich, notice this, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which uh, drown men in destruction and perdition, which you're going to see with Lot. Now, it's not against ambition, Please understand, you should be ambitious for the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You know, whatever he's called you to do, you work hard. But you do it unto the Lord, not unto making more money. You, you see the difference? Christians are not supposed to be lazy. They're supposed to be the hardest workers at the company or wherever they're at. But why do you work hard? It's working because my boss is Jesus. That's it. And whatever comes as far as wealth is that concern, it's up to him. But whatever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it 100%. If I'm working 100% in order to make more money, you're off. You're way off. Because you have put money ahead of God. And that's why he says you'll end up in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money in general, the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil that you'll see with Lot, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Oh, so now he says the reason they make money an idol is that they're greedy. And they've strayed, they've got off the path, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So they end up in a worst state following that. And you will see with Lot that Lot ends in a very bad state. He ends up in Sodom. And he ends up being, having to be rescued out of that place. He can't get out of it. So there's the warning. Um, so Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Now, I want you to see what Abraham's doing. Abraham is saying, look, 
let's stop the bickering, okay? Let's not have the, our families fighting. And, and when he says, for we are brethren, I want you to see what Abraham's doing. Abraham is the uncle. So that means in, the, in, in that world, he is the spiritual authority, okay? Abraham is also the spiritually more mature than Lot. So Lot's a lot younger. Abraham's the elder, okay? But notice the phrase, we are brethren. When Abraham says that, he's actually making Lot an equal. So he's not trumping him saying, you better listen to me, boy. I have authority and I'm gonna tell you what to do. He doesn't do that. He actually, because of Abraham's faith and spiritual maturity, puts Lot on an equal plane with him, socially. We're brothers. Now, the only reason he can do that is because he's more spiritually mature. And here's the principle. The more spiritually mature always defers to the weaker brethren. Always. Paul will make that point about eating meat sacrificed to idols, right? That the stronger defers to the weak. It is the stronger that helps the weak, okay? It's always that principle. So when you're dealing with somebody in a conflict, it's not about you winning the argument. It's not about you getting your way. It's about, is this person that I'm dealing with less mature than me, then I will defer to them. And I'm not talking about black and white issues. I'm talking about gray areas, okay? Not black and white issues. Black and white issues are easy to deal with. It's right or wrong, that's it. But gray areas are a little bit different. So in gray areas, the stronger defers to the weak. And that's what Abraham's doing. Now, another thing, look at this. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, now again, here's what you're doing. Picture this. They're facing east, okay? Like I'm facing. If you take the left, which is north Israel, then I will go to the right, to the south of Israel, okay? Or if you go to the right or the south of Israel, then I will go to the left or the north of Israel, Okay, so, what is, so they're facing east as they look over, okay? What is this? It's something deeper than what people imagine. The first thing he says, is not the whole land before you? Let me ask you this. Who was the land given to? Abraham. And Abraham is saying, I defer to you, but there's the land. Take what you want. Wait a second, the land was never promised a lot. What is Abraham doing? There's a big significance here. Abraham's faith is being shown here. And here's how it's being shown. I, Abraham, I know personally the Lord is going to give me this land in due time. That's what he's promised to me. I trust in the promise that he's going to give this to me. And that the land will be mine entirely. So, Because of that promise and that faith in that promise of God, I do not have to cling to anything and guard what the Lord has given me. I do not have to be selfish or, uh, you know, uh, try to protect what the Lord's given me because if he has given it to me, 
then it's going to be mine one day anyway. So I don't have to worry about the Canaanites being on the land, and I surely don't have to worry about Lot taking any piece of the land he wants at this point because it's all coming back to me at some point in time in the future. So Abraham is solid in his faith. He doesn't doubt what the Lord can do. So he says, pick whatever land you want. It's mine in the end anyway. Whoa. Now that's a big faith leap. And it's the same faith leap you're going to have to make right now. You have a lot of things that are going to be taken from you, from this world, from the evil people in this world that you have no control over. No control whatsoever. Like I said, if they switch you to a digital currency, they're going to control your life. They're going to take freedoms away that you never gave them. If they allow, and it appears they're going to, the World Health Organization to make medical decisions for American people, you have no control of that, and they will take more freedom from you. Okay? So what I'm telling you is big things are coming that you're going to lose things, and you must be prepared to lose these things. Now, how do I deal with that in faith? Jesus said this, and you must cling to this promise. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's power under control. The meek, the power under control. They don't retaliate. They don't seek revenge. They, fine. You want to take more land, federal government. Federal government wants to take and take and take and take from us. Fine. Take whatever you want. But at the end, when Jesus rules and reigns, I get it all anyway. I will be in power as a king or a queen over the messianic kingdom as I co-reign with Christ. I will eventually be in the spot that you are. You rule our lives. One day I will rule others with Christ. And I will be given land that you have taken away from me. I will inherit this earth, not Joe Biden, not Klaus Schwab, not Yuval Harari, not Bill Gates. Bill Gates has 250,000 acres in America. It will not compare to what you will be given in the next life because you inherit the entire earth. So all that the power-hungry people are doing today is by taking, 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 taking. I'm not worried about it because I get it all in the end anyway. So that should settle you. That should calm you down like it's doing with Abraham. I'm not threatened by that because I get it all in the end. Look, Jesus said this. If someone tries to sue you, then give them your cloak as well. Because in the end, you get it all back. So it's the concept that you are okay losing things in this life because of your faith in the promise. Messiah says, look, If you follow me in discipleship, I will reward you 100-fold in the next life. What does that mean? It means this. Not only do you get everything back from this life that was taken from you, you get it back 100 times over. Not just just one-to-one, 100 times over. So that gives you the ability... To be okay when you do lose and when they do steal from you and then they take part of your life or whatever it might be. You actually can live by faith. That's what Abraham's doing. 
And so he says, well, go ahead and take whatever part of the land you want, man. It's all, it's all coming back to me anyway. He's not bothered by that. So he defers to that. <clears throat> and Lot lifted his eyes and saw, notice what Lot's doing. They're facing east, okay? They're facing east. So where they're at is facing, facing this way will be the, the, the Jordan River, but it's not a rift valley at this point in time. If you, if you look today on a map, the rift valley is like the deepest valley on the planet going to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is like 1,300 or something like that feet below sea level. It's the lowest place. And I think Galilee is like 600 feet below sea level. So what happened is there's a, a, there, there's a cataclysmic thing happened and created the Rift Valley. At this point, the cataclysmic event has not happened. And so you still have the Jordan, but it's not a valley. It's a plain. Okay? It's a plain spread out in front of them. So they're looking right over where you would see the Dead Sea today in, in your mind. Okay, it's not the Dead Sea at this point. It's a well-watered plain and they see it in front of them. But think about this. The well-watered plain is the dividing line between the land of promise and what is today Jordan. Okay, so the boundaries of the promised land are right there in the Jordan River. So you go past the Jordan, you're on the other side of the promised land. Okay. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of what, Israel? Of Canaan? No, of where? Jordan. Lot is going to make a decision to leave the land of promise. Why? That it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Zoar is the lowest part, I'm sorry, the southernmost part of, of uh, the Dead Sea. So it's saying that the Dead Sea today, that looks dry and there's this salt, back then it looked like the garden of the Lord. It was well watered. It was a plain. And the water from the Jordan River was just flooding into this area like the Nile Delta. Like the Nile Delta today. Lush and it flourishes. And it says it equates it to the garden of the Lord. How lush and well watered it was. So notice what Lot is doing. He sees with his own eyes. He lifted his eyes and saw what was before him and what was before him was this well-watered plain. And what he's looking at guys is finances. That's what he's looking at. He's turning to the East and looking towards finances. Here's what you have to understand. He will make that journey and let's pretend this is the line and cross that line into the East. Now, you have to know something about the Hebrew Bible a little bit that when it says he's going to go into Jordan, that's east. And he'll use the word east later on in the text. That is symbolic of going east means going away from Yahweh, disconnecting from him fellowship wise and doing your own thing. So what happened? Let's go back to 
the Garden of Eden. Once Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, where do they go? East. Now I move you to uh, Cain after he killed him. Where did Cain go after he killed Abel? He went east. Okay, let's go to the Tower of Babel. And it says there in, the, in Genesis 11 that the people started migrating east. Right? It's always this eastern direction. And this eastern direction is symbolic for going into evil, wickedness, disfellowship with the Lord, on your own, doing your own thing. Right? That's the idea. It's a spiritual declension. So he continues on. And it says, then Lot chose. So not only does he see, he's going to make a decision to go off the path. Chose himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed to the east. There's your term. And they separated from each other. Here's what's going to happen in your own life. You're going to be on the path with other people. And you're going to have a situation where someone like Lot says, I'm going east. Okay? And it's going to be family members, probably, and friends. And you're like, no, I'm staying in the land of Canaan. This is where the blessing is. And they're like, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going east because what I see over here, the grass is greener on the other side. And it's a well-watered plain, and it's more beneficial to me and what I want out of my life. Notice what they said, what I want out of my life, not what, what does God want out of me. It's what I want. So I'm going to cross over and go east and leave the path thinking that this is more beneficial over here. That's what happens when people leave the path. Something is appealing to them materially. That's what the well-watered plains represent. It represents, I can make more money over here. I can benefit here by doing this. And like we've already seen in the text, just because you can make more money doesn't mean that's a blessing. It can actually be a curse. And you cross over, you leave the path, and you go east, and you're all messed up at that point. It seems okay for the beginning, but you're going to get messed up. So here's the thing. We must make choices, we must not make choices by sight, but rather by faith in the Lord's lead. That's what Lot's doing. He says he lifted his own eyes. He, he did this by sight. And I know a lot of people, they look at the situation we're in in California, and then they look east. Isn't that funny, east? And they said, well, there's a better situation over here, and there's a better situation over here, and there's a better situation over there. Maybe. But look, I was in Florida last week. I talked to the Floridians, okay? And, and they were, they say, Brandon, you know, one couple talked to, to me, and they said, we have a great governor. There's no doubt about it with DeSantis. I said, I agree, totally, man. But they said this. But the rest of the states jacked up is just as California is too. I said, really? We're having the problems in the schools with the teachers grooming the kids. We're having the problem with the homeless. We're having the problem with this. We're having the problem with that. So we only are known by our governor, but that doesn't tell the rest of the story that's going on in Florida. The rest of Florida is like the rest of the country. I said, well, that's interesting. 
That's very interesting. I said, you know, the funny thing I said, I said, I've traveled, I've talked to people that, and when I travel and I, they're in Idaho and they're in, they're in Oklahoma or they're in Tennessee or wherever, Kentucky, wherever, and they all tell me the same thing. We thought we were going to the promised land, but it's the same thing that we saw in California is already there. The crazy LGBT agenda, the whole trans agenda, the whole thing, the grooming, the kids, it's all there. And I said, so what do you conclude? And they said, there's nowhere to go. I said, you're right. The water of the flood is rising and no one's going to escape it. So you're better off staying wherever the Lord puts you because it's everywhere. Isn't that interesting? But, but, but if you go by sight, if you go by sight and not by the lead of the Lord, you're going to end up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Next thing, we must, not, we must not make choices based on our own personal gain, devoid of thinking about others. Lot is not thinking of his own family. He's, he's got all these people to take care of, and all he's saying, how can this benefit me? If you're making decisions based on how does this benefit me, and you're not including your spouse, you're not including your kids, how is this going to affect the kids, how is this going to include, uh, include my, my extended family, You're flying solo. And that's a dangerous place to be. Abraham is thinking of others. How do I know? Because he tells Lot, you do what's best for you. That's how you know. Abraham is thinking in familial terms, what's best for you, not what's best for Abraham. What's best for you, Lot, you pick what you want to do. That's how you know the difference. We must not make choices based on where the Lord, uh, based on, not make choices based on where the Lord wants us, uh, not where we want to be. Or sorry, I, I think I messed that up. On where the Lord wants us, not where we want to be. So the idea is, of course, I would rather be in Hawaii and selling surfboards and, and surfing every day. I would love to be able to do that. Okay? And... and but that's not what the Lord wants me to be. And even when I go on vacation, this is weird. I, have a, I can't even go on vacation anymore. It's horrible. So when I go on vacation, I have this feeling this is not where I need to be. It's weird. It, it jacks me up and I ruin my whole vacation over it because I know where I'm supposed to be. So even, yeah, vacation, you got to take a vacation. But even on vacation... I will, I will have this back in the back of my mind. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not, you're not where you're supposed to be. And I have this, this in my head because I know where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be in Hawaii selling surfboards. Okay? Where are you supposed to be? Right? Where are you supposed to be? And lastly, we must not make choices that put materialism above spirituality. If you put that above spirituality, you will come out a weak Christian. You might have the blessings of the world and everything for you. A nice house, nice this, nice this, nice living conditions. But your spiritual life is zero. And you will end up like Laodicea. Laodicea was a rich, affluent church one of the richest churches in the ancient world. And yet, what was Christ's evaluation of them? You are useless to me. 
You are lukewarm and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick because you think your material blessings are a blessing from me and I'm telling you, you're wrong in your evaluation. You're spiritually blind, naked, and you need me because you have been fooled by wealth. Now, if that doesn't characterize the American church, I don't know what does. But at the end of the day, guys, what you're going to see, we're going to continue this story because it doesn't end here. It gets longer and it, it gets more in depth. But here's the thing. You're going to come to forks in the road in your life. You might be at one right now. And here's what you've got to ask yourself. Am I going to follow the Lord in faith, do the hard thing, do the right thing, and not and, and in this path, you won't be the most materially wealthy person, okay? Or do I choose a path that I think makes me richer? And you can excuse that as saying, well, it gives me the ability to provide for my family, and it gives me the ability to pay for my kids' college. Let me tell you something. When I chose the path of doing this, starting a church, I chose the path of not getting paid very well. Okay, And my first thought was, I had little kids, and I said, how am I going to pay for their colleges? How am I going to pay for their schooling? I, I, am I going to make no money doing this? And I've put myself in a trap. And I didn't have enough faith, by the way, because of that. And what I have learned now is that, yes, I made less money. I took a huge pay cut. But at the end, you know what's happened? The Lord somehow has provided me the finances to put my kids in college. And it's not because I'm wealthy. It's because of his provision for it. Look, I can testify. Choose the harder path. Choose the path of faith and you will never have to worry about finances or provision because he will make sure you get it even though you're not wealthy because that's what the Lord can do. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through Abraham's life. Father, in our decision-making, help us to focus in on you, focus in on what you would have us to do, not on what's best for us, but what's best that you want us to do in our decision-making, so we can stay on the path and not end up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Messiah as Savior, they would come to faith in him today. They would understand he paid the penalty on the cross for their sins, paid for all of their sins, was buried and rose on the third day, and offers everlasting life to anyone who believes. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.